Take your Bible and turn to 1 Peter. We were there last week. We'll go back again. 1 Peter. For those that are listening online, we are making an adjustment to how we're doing the prayer meeting afterwards. Instead of doing it Zoom, we're going to have you still call in. There should be a number still on the screen that you usually would call for Zoom, and that's going to take you to Irwin um, Gonzalez. Uh, Irwin's our technician there. And call in, and what you would say is, I would like to be part of the prayer meeting, but instead of it being Zoom face-to-face, he's going to match you up with another person. And so you can call and talk to another a man with a man, lady with a lady, a young person with a young person, and still have prayer. And let me encourage you, I, I think there's a segment of our regular prayer people that came on Wednesday nights, and you haven't been Zooming in, and you haven't, and I understand that maybe it's just uncomfortable, but with this, call into Irwin. He'll just match you up with another person, and I know everybody talks on the phone. So uh, just call and get back into prayer meeting. Uh, you, you've heard me say this over and over again, the power of a church is when it's on its knees. And every inch that we're going to take from the devil, we don't take standing up. We take, we take in a humble, uh, prayerful attitude. And I tell you, that we need prayer. So I would encourage you tonight, uh, re-engage into the prayer time and let Irwin be your guide in that thing. And if you want to, you say, I don't want Irwin. I'm just going to set up afterwards to normally pray with somebody else. And you want him to set that, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to use Irwin. But I would encourage you get back into that prayer time on Wednesday night, one way or another. We're trying to break out, you know what I mean? We're back on visitation Saturday, we're getting back into our prayer time, and uh, we've got neighborhood Bible time starting to crank up behind the scenes and uh, all the rest, so these things take a little energy, and uh, I, need you to, I need you to help me. So if you haven't been participating in that prayer time, Make the effort tonight. And if you're not sure, you say, I don't know what number to call, and I'm confused. And well, then call Mindy tomorrow, and she'll help you for next Wednesday night. All right? Um, can't, can't change what's what. Stephen, you might have that telephone number. Maybe afterwards we could give it uh, if you could find that for me so everybody can participate. All right. First Peter, please. 1 Peter chapter 1. Last week, we looked at the last two verses of 1 Peter chapter 1 and the first three verses of chapter 2. Let's revisit them, and we're going to build off of them again tonight. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 23, 24, and 25. Being born again, not of corruptible seed, but of incorruptible by the word of God. We were born again by the promises of God, and Jesus is the word of God made flesh And we made much about being rightly related to this book. And so let's look at verse 24. For all flesh is as grass, and all the glory of man is the flower of grass. The grass withereth away, and the flower thereof falleth away. But the word of the Lord endureth what? Forever. And this is the word by which the gospel is preached unto you. Aren't you glad that we are saved by an everlasting promise from the word of God? It's not a hope. It's not a a temporary thing. It's not uh, anything but an eternal promise of the gospel based on the word of God, based on Jesus, who his name is the word of God. Look at verse 
1 of chapter 2. Wherefore, and this is what we preached on then last week, things that can keep us from the Word of God. Wherefore, laying aside all, notice five things, malice, all guile, hypocrisies, envying, and all evil speakings. And we're going to come back to that in a second and revisit it. These things, when we get focused on those, hinder our relationship to reading and living and practicing the Word of God. Look at verse 2. This is what we should be doing. As newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the Word that ye may grow thereby. You know, when my, all three of my children, my wife breastfed. And I can remember when uh, the first little bit, when she was trying to get them ready to, to feed, that was a little bit of a learning curve. But once they got it and they got the milk coming, I tell you what, they were like little pigs. And uh, sometimes my, uh, my wife um, at that time was having trouble producing enough uh, milk for them to be satisfied. And so she would have to supplement with a Bible, a Bible, yeah. Uh, <laughs> She'd have to supplement with a bottle because they just wanted more and more. That's what babies do. They're like little pigs. They just they just go at it and they nurse. My wife and I went out a couple weeks ago in the and drove in the country and we saw young calves. And I was watching one calf that was you know getting milk from his mom, and apparently it wasn't enough. And I mean, he just began to butt the mother and say, "Come on, more," you know. That's desiring the sincere milk of the word. There's something wrong with a baby when you put the bottle and they don't want it. They take about three little sucks and they spit it out. And mom says, what's wrong? You feel their forehead, it's got a temperature. Oh my, they got a virus. And that's what we talked about last week. Verse 1 of those things that keep us from desiring the sincere milk of the word. Let's just revisit them for just a millisecond, and then we will get into the new material tonight. What's the first one? All malice. And that malice was bad feelings towards people, ill will. And I see this as a pastor over the years. People have ill will in families and relationships, ill will at church, Bible says that when we get we try to read the word of God, but our mind just goes to that ill will. Got to get rid of it. And then he said, all guile. Remember we said there was three things that had the word all? The Lord says these are three things that you and I can lay aside. And remember we used the idea of a whiteboard and not leaving any remnant of it, but erase it completely. All malice. All guile, and guile was deceitfulness and cunning and treachery and, and uh, sneakiness and, and tre- uh, that kind of a thing. The Bible says lay that aside. Then it says to lay aside all hypocrisies. And hypocrisies was that outward show of pretense, not being the real deal. And I tell you, there are a lot of Christians that when you pull back their mask, their heart doesn't match their face. And the Lord says, lay aside that hypocrisy and be real with God and real with people around you, uh, spiritually uh, being what you should be with the Lord. And then lay aside envy. And the envy, we said, was having uh, seen what other people have and jealous. And there's uh, within a lot of churches, 
people that are jealous of what other people have. There's within a lot of families jealous. There's within children that are jealous. Do you know, I'm, I'm old enough to hear a lot of stories of people that they raise their children, mom and dad get older, they pass away, and these three, four, or five kids are left, and the jealousy of those kids as they fight over the estate, and um, what an awful thing, especially in a Christian family. It ought not to be that way. These kinds of things that we're talking about are things that when we're jealous and envious and we're two-faced and we're filled with malice, they keep us from desiring the pure milk of the Word of God. And then the last thing was to lay aside all evil speakings. And the evil speakings here, we said, had a lot to do with just defamation and backbiting. Just lay aside all that kind of stuff. So the Lord said, lay them aside. And so last week I challenged you. Can I ask you a question? Have you been jealous this week? Have you been envious this week? Have you been hypocritical this week? Have you spoken evil? Have you had bad feelings towards people? You, then you need to deal with it so that you can have a better relationship with the Word of God. Tonight I'd like to add to the list, not from this passage, but just from other places in the Scripture that would sort of match Things that keep us from being all we should be in our Christian growth. Sort of taking that idea with us. And I'd like you to turn to James chapter 4. And we'll add number 6 on the list, okay? It's not from this passage, but we're going to add to it from other places. James chapter 4, please. Look at verse 7. James chapter 4, verse 7. Submit yourselves therefore to God... Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Here's the sixth thing, an unsubmissive attitude. And in this case, look at verse 7, because we're studying the Word of God. What is the unsubmissive toward? Who? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Christians, sometimes we get in a relationship when God has spoken to us and we're resisting God. He's convicted us. He's put his finger on us. We had an evangelist years ago. We had probably, he had came through at least four, maybe five times and spoke to us. And I can remember there were certain things he, he said almost every time he came. And one of them was, he said, don't expect God to be teaching you new things when you aren't doing what he's already told you. And when we resist God, when he's clearly laid out an authority or an issue to us, then we try to read our Bible. I think what the Lord is going to say, um, before I talk to you anymore, how about if we revisit what I told you to do yesterday and it'll just keep moving in on you. And it's possible that we as Christians, like we read our Bible or we... Um, sit in a church service, and it's not, it wasn't Pastor Butts that was so much the speaker. It was God just pricked my heart, and he twisted away at it, and I didn't respond, and I walked out the doors, and then I try to read my Bible on Monday, and the Lord says, okay, let's just revisit where we were on Sunday. And so this unsubmissiveness toward God in this passage of Scripture, look at Matthew chapter 26 in relationship to, res to submitting to God. 
I want to show you uh, that this was modeled for us. Matthew chapter 26, verse 39. Um, verse 29. No, 39, I'm sorry. 26, 39. And he, this is Jesus, went a little farther and fell on his face. Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he prayed, and he's saying, Oh, my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Obviously, we, the Lord then speaks to Jesus. It isn't written here, but obviously, the Lord says, No, you're going to have to drink it, son. And so the Lord says what? Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. Was the Lord Jesus submissive to his heavenly Father? Yes. We need to make sure that when God has put something on us, whether it's from the preaching, whether it's from something in our devotions, and he's spoken to us, that we've submitted to that. It goes a step further, in my opinion. God gives certain authorities in our life. And I'd like you to turn to Hebrews chapter 13. And I'd like you to look at verse 17. Hebrews 13, 17. One of the first authorities that God gives us, obviously, when we're first born into life as a parent. And can I tell, I know we've got all the little kids gone, but teenagers, listen to me. How you respond to your mom and dad is teaching you, modeling for you, how you're going to respond to God as you get older. How you then respond to other authorities in your life. You're put in a class at school, and your teacher says, and you fill in the blank, the teacher says a lot of things, right? And you resist it, but God has put you in that, and you battle against that. That's a model for when you get older, how you're going to submit to God. God gives authorities for us as we drive around to keep us safe. They keep us run through red lights and speeding. They're called policemen. And when we just resist the authority of policemen and our government, that's a reasonable authority, but we just see it different, we need to be careful because God tells us that he put that authority there. In Hebrews chapter 13, there's another authority that God gives. Look at verse 17. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls as they that must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. And that is spiritual authority. You know, God gives a pastor. I don't think a pastor should be a dictator. If you feel like I ever am a dictator, I'm sorry. That's not my job. I'm supposed to be out like a shepherd leading. And when the shepherd leads, the flock should follow. My wife and I, I said a couple weeks ago, were out driving. And I'd grown up around cattle when I was younger. And so we often will stop and watch the cattle. And I saw five or six different pastures of cattle in the afternoon that they were migrating and they were moving from this part of the field to that and they migrated together. And I can tell you from experience how that works. Every year on May 17th, it was my mother's birthday, 
the cows were put out in the pasture. The rest of the year, it's too cold, it's too muddy, it ruined the fields. And so May 17th, it's just a day, my dad, November 17th, my grandmother's birthday, he put him in the barn. On May 17th, he let him go out, okay? And I'd always say, when I was when I got old enough, I'd say, Dad, wait till we get home from school to let the cows out. I want to see it. You say, why? Because my dad would let them out, and when they get out of the, I mean, they've been standing in a stall since November 17th. And they haven't been able to go anywhere. Now they get to go out. And they go out, and I tell you what, they get in the, they sort of walk the little stiffness off, and then they get out in the yard, and they begin to kick and jump and buck. I mean, their cows aren't usually like this. But I mean, it's really something to, then this is what I really want to see. That part you can see somewhere else. But we're going to see who's going to run the flock. They start having a fight. The first time I saw it, it really shocked me. Those cows, I mean, these nice cows that you go up and pet, they begin to take their head down and bam! I mean, they knock each other and go, and pretty soon it's down to like four of them. And they're just running, and then it's down to two of them. And you can hear the skulls, bang, bang! And pretty soon one backs off, and you got Mama running the show. Okay? And for the rest of the summer, when Mama goes this way in the pasture, all the cows follow her. She's asserted she's the leader of the flock. And uh, often when I would go get the cows, you knew who the, the lead cow was. You'd make sure you get her, the rest of the cows would come. Let me tell you, every once in a while, my dad would get a new cow or two or three cows he'd buy at an auction somewhere, and they would back up the truck, and they'd go down, and they'd go into the pasture with the other cows. And you know what would often happen? One of those had been a head cow where she was. And she thought she should be the head cow now over here. And there was a battle. And I like to watch it. It was a lot of fun to watch. But you know, that's not fun to watch in a church. And yet that kind of stuff happens. I'm just trying to make it light for us so we can understand. God gives leadership. He gives deacons. He gives a Sunday school teacher. He gives a youth pastor. He gives pastors. And, you know, God, and I'm sure... Cows would like to go different ways in the pastures, but they always go as a flock. You watch when you see cows, they're always walking the same direction, doing the same thing. What a beautiful picture of a church working together. So I could go on with other authorities, whether it's rebellion at home against your parents or whether it's resisting at church or whether it's resisting at the school for the little kids. And these things become a problem for us in our understanding of God's word because God has put those things there to direct us. And when we get bumping heads against those, God's not going to lose. God's not going to lose. So number one virus that we would add would be submitting to God and to the authorities that he has put in my life and doing it happily, and doing it consistently, and doing it really in our heart. Look, if you will, please, at Proverbs chapter 28. We'll look at a second virus. I think we're not going to get through what I wanted tonight. Proverbs chapter 28. Look at verse 13. 
Here we find the seventh or the second tonight virus that uh, I think can keep us from uh, growing in the Lord. Look at verse 13. He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. Secret sin. The Bible is filled, especially in the Old Testament, with verses that say something like this. The eyes of the Lord behold everything. There is nothing withholding from his eyes. And I know that if I'm not rightly related to God, I have trouble spiritually looking into his eyes. Um, If Patrick and I, Patrick and I are pretty good friends, but if I know that I just sold him down the river, lied about him to over here to Marco and all the rest, and he comes around the corner, and I say, hi, Patrick, you know what? I would have a hard time looking eye to eye after I'd just done that to Patrick. Would you not agree? And it's very similar in our Christian life when we have known sin. I guess I got off the camera, didn't I? Uh, I'm not used to having to stay up here. But uh, when we have known sin in our life, let's make it real practical tonight. You try to read your Bible and you just have been naughty. You just lied. You just been on the internet feasting in garbage. You um, just had a big blowout with your parents or your mom and dad or your sister and brother or, or your husband and your wife or etc. And you try to read your Bible. You know, you just stole a bunch of money and you try to read your Bible. You see, it doesn't work. He that confesseth and forsaketh shall have mercy, but he that covereth shall not prosper. I want you to see another verse on this. Turn with me to 2 Kings chapter 17. And here it's the children of Israel and their prosperity being hindered according to the word of God. 2 Kings, and we're in the 17th chapter, please. Look at verse 9. And the children of Israel did secretly those things that were not right against the Lord their God. And what did they do? They built them high places in all their cities, from the tower of the watchman to the fenced city. And they set them up images and groves in every high hill and under every green tree. And they burnt incense in all the high places, as did their heathen, whom the Lord carried away before them, and wrought wicked things to provoke the Lord to anger, for they served idols. Do you see what happened here? They went to church down on the, the plains, but in the mountains they had their idols secretly. They provoke the Lord secretly. And Christians, when you and I have secret sin in our life, it provokes the Lord. One of the things that I think refreshed in my mind as we studied through the book of Revelation in the last two years is when we studied God up on his holy hill. You know, the Bible pictures God, the Father, as dwelling in a place separated even in heaven from everything else. And there in his perfection, 
And it just, and then we in our Christian life, saved and redeemed and washed by the blood of Christ, but then I go and I bring to myself my wickedness, and then I get on my knees to read my Bible and pray. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. So the Lord tells us to deal with the sins in our life. And Christians, I don't need to preach on your sin. You don't, you, we all know tonight, if you know that you've been dealing with some sin in your life, you are not going to prosper in your Bible study until you just get honest with God. This past week, Jeriel spoke to the teenagers in chapel by via this, whatever, the internet video. And he said, in finding the will of God, the first step is getting a holy relationship with God. Jerry, if you're listening tonight, that was exactly right. And Christians, if we're going to study the word of God, we've got to be all the sin removed before we approach God to speak to us. Whenever I study my Bible, and I've been studying it for a lot of years, I always start with, Lord, is there anything in my life that's grieved you? I try to straighten out anything. Every, I mean, I get up in the morning that way. If I, I'm going to my Bible study in my office. I always, it's just like going to eat. I wash my hands. That is a good practice. Get rid of the secret sins. Be honest. You know what? You don't have to lie to God because he already knows. And what he wants you to do is confess and forsake be honest with him. And you know what? It's all right to tell God you're struggling because he knows your frame that it is but dust. And he knows how to help you. But don't pretend with God and try to come to church and listen to the word and read your Bible and say, man, we're getting nothing. Maybe it's not the preacher. Maybe it's not your methods of Bible study. Maybe it's just getting cleaned up so God can speak to you. Let me go one more, and then we will just all we'll get done tonight. Turn to Proverbs chapter 6, please. Proverbs chapter 6. Look at verse 17. <clears throat> In Proverbs chapter 6, actually, we should start at verse 16 to get the, the context of it. These six things does the Lord, what? Hate. So, matter of fact, it says that, yea, even seven are an abomination unto him. So, when I say even seven, I sort of get the idea that the seventh one on his list of seven is really an abomination to him. What's an abomination? Somebody help me from the audience here. Raise your hand. What's an abomination? Something that you hate so much that it makes you sick. That's a pretty good definition. Something that really just you can't tolerate. Uh, for some people, that's liver. They call that an abomination. I like liver myself, so I don't know about you. But is there something that when you think of it or see it, it just makes you mad or cringe? You just can't get it out of my sight. That's an abomination. Okay. God says these seven things are things that he really doesn't like. He uses the word hate, and even, yea, the seven are an abomination. Let's read that list, please. Okay? A proud look, 
a lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that deviseth wicked imaginations. Feet that be swift in running to mischief. A false witness that speaketh lies. And what's the seventh? And he that soweth discord among brethren. Tonight, the one that I'm going to bring out is that seventh one. Often I've learned a long time ago when God gives a longer list, 7, 11, 14, usually the thing that's at the top and the last are the most important. What's the first one? Pride. Would you not agree that's pretty, pretty obviously an abomination to God? But then if we use that rule of saying that last one, is, he sort of ends up with it because he wants to point it out, what would it be? Sowing discord among brethren. And that sowing discord is something that I've watched a lot over the years. It, it, we can apply it to a church. We can apply it to an extended family. We can apply it to a work situation where somebody is just pitting this group against that group and they're just sowing things. They're a sower of discord. And God says, this really irritates him. Now with that in mind, let me just read my Bible and I've just been a sower of discord. Do you, do you think it works? Do you think it works to, to, to be a person that's just been really working in this category. Um, I wanted you to take one step further with this idea of sowing discord. Turn to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And I found this was interesting. I knew it, but had forgotten it until I studied it out and looked it up again. 1 Timothy chapter 3. I want you to see verse 11. 1 Timothy, I'm in 2 Timothy, chapter 3, verse 11. Even so must their wives be grave, not slanderers, sober, faithful in all things. Now, I'm not picking on wives here, and I'm not picking on deacons' wives, okay? Otherwise, I'd have people mad at me tonight, all right? That's not where I'm going with this, all right? But I am picking on the idea, even so must... A person, let's just put it that way. First of all, they should be grave. What is grave? Serious-minded. And then are not to be, and here's where we're parking. They're not to be a what? A slanderer. A sower of discord. A critical spirit. And I began to study that out just a little bit, and I thought I'd translate it out of the original language, and I thought I looked up the wrong word. Do you know what the word slanderer literally is in the Greek? Diablos. Who's Diablos? That's the devil. That's one of his names. He's called slanderer. The Bible says that we are not to be Diablos. And when I saw that in that strength and the idea of criticalness and discord and cutting down people's character and, and being a, that kind of a person, and they translated, to, in this case, a deacon's wife should not be one that's uh, 
that's sowing that kind of stuff, it really just spoke to my heart that this is the devil's territory. So here I've just slandered and I've gossiped and I've sown discord and I try to read the Bible. God said it doesn't work. Matter of fact, this is an ancient battle and think back last Sunday night. I know we read a lot of scripture about Satan and all the rest, but I want you to think back with me about Revelation, we could turn there, Revelation chapter 12, where did the earthly battle begin? It started, according to Revelation, this, this battle that we trace with Satan started in Revelation chapter 12, and I want you to look at verse 7. And there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon. We know the dragon Satan, amen? And the Dragon fought against his angels and prevailed not, neither was there found any place anymore in heaven. So what's happened? Michael and the angels win. They cast out Lucifer to, to the earth. There's no more place for him. And the great dragon was cast out. That old serpent called the devil and Satan, which deceiveth the whole world, and he was cast out into the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And I heard a voice saying in heaven, Now has come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ. For the accuser of the brethren, guess what word that is? Diabolos. Is cast out. Whose category is it to be a slanderer? That's Satan's category. And so tonight I would just remind us that when we slander people, when we gossip about people, when we just go around with criticalness in our spirit towards people, we're in Satan's territory. And that is his earthly agenda. And he loves to cut down all kinds of people, but especially spiritual leaders. People that are trying to do right, he'll try to cast them down. He'll try to cast aspersions. But my point is, these things, we then try to grow spiritually, and I'm a slanderer. I try to grow spiritually, but I've got secret sin. I try to grow spiritually, but I've not submitted to the things and the authorities that God has put in my life. It doesn't work. It doesn't work. Tonight, I encourage us, each one of us, to think in our life, are we submitted to what God has told us to do in our life? Are, is there something in our life that we've been covering and it's a secret sin and we're still trying to come here tonight and study the Word of God and get in our face to pray? It's not going to work. Have you been a person that's been sowing that discord behind the scene? It's not going to work. And then you kind of come to the Word of God. It doesn't work. As a pastor... I see all of the things that we've talked about from number one and we've gone down through number eight pop up over the years in a congregation. They just do. It doesn't mean that we're awful. But I do know this, that when they pop up and we focus what it is, 
we go to the doctor and get it taken care of. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us. So then we can be rightly related and we can get back on like newborn babes, sucking on the milk and getting on the meat and we can grow. But if we don't, these things will literally destroy a family, a church, a youth group, a college group of people, a young man, a young lady, a, a couple. And I hope tonight they're an encouragement to you. Heavenly Father, I pray that you'd help each one of us to examine our lives if there's something that uh, is keeping us from absorbing the growth of the Word of God May we submit to your leadership and your teaching. May we deal with secret things. May we deal, Father, with this idea of being a slanderer and a talker, evil talker. And we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen.